Hello, I'm Dick Foth, and welcome to Known, Stories to Make Sense of It All. You say, that's a bit of an audacious claim, Stories to Make Sense of It All. How are you going to do that? I think by listening to the story of an individual, it puts skin on truth, and it informs our own lives. So these podcasts are about those kinds of conversations and reflections, and the hope is that as we explore other people's worlds and journeys, we get help for our own. At the heart of it all, we want to engage the story of Jesus of Nazareth to get perspective, actually, for how life really works. Thanks for tuning in. Let's do this. Well, Christmas is upon us, and with it, the Christmas story. The story of of Jesus, of Nazareth, found in the scriptures, uh, his birth, what we call the Christmas story, is fascinating. Uh, It begins, actually, with an older man uh, engaged but not married to a younger woman. She ends up pregnant, not by him. The government is having a census. They've got to get on the highway in order to go to the place where they have to register. The baby is born in a barn, if you will, and there are all kinds of things that are going on. There are angels, there are animals. There. And you ask yourself the question when you read the story, who is this Jesus? Because as you read the Gospels and on through Scripture, it's about the Savior of the world, but that takes time to reveal and unfold. What's interesting to me that in the Christmas story, it says that Joseph, the, the adoptive father, if you will, of Jesus, is in the lineage of David, the greatest king in Israel's history. But 30 years later, there's another take on Joseph. And this is how it reads in Matthew's gospel. As Matthew tells the story, Jesus is now 30-ish. He's wandering through the countryside or moving through the countryside. And uh, one of the ways he teaches is by telling stories some to open up understanding and some to sort of mask understanding. It's really an enigma. These are called parables. But this is what it says in Matthew, the 13th chapter, and the uh, 54th verse. It says, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And therein lies the question for today. Carpenters, construction people, people who work with stone and wood and, and these days concrete and steel and other kinds of things. What I want to do is to have a little conversation here with two friends, both of whom are in construction. They're tremendous guys. Here they are. My guests today are two friends of some years now, John Saylor and Mark Foster, and it's great to have you guys here. Good to be here. Good to be here. That that was like in chorus right there. That was tremendous. The the reason that I wanted to talk to you guys in particular today is I had this thought about construction being a metaphor for life. When you build something, when you build houses or office buildings and so forth, how might that reflect how life really works? Now, both of you have been in construction for some time. John, how did you get in construction? Originally attracted to the electrical field and uh, did that for several years. It was uh, just a great business to get into and always wanted to know what everybody else was doing. Well, there you go. Into general contracting. So curiosity called you to contract. How about about you, Mark? 
Uh, my dad was in construction, and um, so I started in construction when I was four or five years old, going to work with my dad, and and uh, he loved it, and that passion for um, for building things and and uh, and seeing an end results uh, got passed on, and I've loved construction ever since. So here you are, you are. You are the ultimate fixer-uppers. You are creators. You build things. You envision things. All of that. When I read scripture, you know, I'm reading about Noah building an ark. I'm reading about the uh, the whole tabernacle thing in the Old Testament that was very big on specs and materials. You know, I start reading Jesus, and I'm reading about a carpenter for Pete's sake. So this idea of both creation. Uh, conception, creation, and structures is a is a pretty decent, pretty big theme in scriptures. So, when you think about building something, Mark, because you sort of have a gift for design as well, not sort of, you have a gift for design. What do you What do you think of? Where do you Where do you start? If you say, okay, I'm going to build a house, where do you start? Obviously, you start with a place. Talk to us about that just a little bit. Well, I, I think um, to me, design has always been uh, the most important part of of uh, getting the result that you want is is figuring out what that result is before you start and uh, really putting the effort in and getting the getting the owner or the buyer to also put that effort in to start with a, a design. Everything changes as you as you go along. Everything and um, you. What do you What do you mean? Everything changes. Well, you, you, the the owner uh, will see something new halfway through the project, and <laughs> and all of a sudden uh, they've got they've got to have that. You know? don't that, you never, guys, that never happens on my house. <laughs> don't, don't you guys make you Don't you guys make your money on change orders? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. So the owner changes. Okay. But so often that process of really struggling through and um, and thinking about everything up front is 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 put to the side, and um, there, there's so much that you can learn up front that that will help you as you go along um, if you really do that upfront design properly, um, and then. The, the construction part really, I think, is, is the easier part of it. It's um, knowing what you really want and struggling through, through getting that in paper. And then, um, and then that process of, of doing that, the construction, is the easier side. Okay, so, the, so this whole idea of form follows function. So, John, you, um, you redesigned an area in a house that we had here. You did a whole basement thing for us and we sat down with you and you said well what do you want to do what do you what do you want and mark you led the charge on building the house we're recording this in as we speak and it's that same thing you sit down it sounds like scripture saying counting the cost not just the dollar cost but sort of framing framing the ideas when you think about the foundation of a house and I know I'm catching you cold on this. By the way, folks, this is unrehearsed. You may, you may have already been able to tell that. But, but when you think about the foundation of a house, what's like the first couple of things that come to mind? Better get it right. Better get it right. 
better think about what you want to see at the roof level mm -hmm. and take it all into consideration. Because if you don't get the foundation right, you're not going to get the roof right. Mm -hmm. Mark can probably speak to this even more than I am uh, because he is uh, much more of a designer than I am. Mm -hmm. I watch and guide the design process quite mm -hmm. often, but a great designer is very good at drawing people out and mm. asking questions that will get them to consider things they haven't considered that will become important downstream. Mm. Well, he needs to take that all into consideration before designing the home, but he needs to take it into special consideration because if the foundation isn't built correctly, it limits what can be done with what's vertical. Because, because if, if I can interpret that, because the foundation determines the envelope of the house, as they say. Is that, is that the right language? Correct. That the, that the foundation sets the stage. You're not going to go beyond that foundation with any stability. Right, Mark? Correct. Yeah, once, once that foundation is set, uh, your ability to make major changes becomes very limited. And so um, you, you really have to think through what that end result has to be so that you're starting off um, with a foundation that's going to be allow you to get there. So, so when we when we translate that to life, um, we live in a day when, for so many people, um, Wikipedia kind of becomes their true north. You know what's up next? What do you you know? It's and it's always changing. That piece is always changing. But but to have a foundation in one's life, spiritually, emotionally, in all of all of the other ways, uh, how is that? Uh, what are your observations on that? Either of you, you know, we typically default to whatever our normal or our basis is, whatever our foundation is, mm. when we run into life. Mm -hmm. So the foundation, when it's set correctly, there can be a, a number of adjustments within that foundation, but you always come back to the stability of the foundation. Hmm. In life, if our foundation is, like you were saying earlier, on sand or isn't constructed correctly or in the right configuration, when things come, we have a hard time staying within those walls and the safety of that foundation. Hmm. We get outside that foundation and things don't go well. So what I see a lot in, in construction and what I am involved in is a lot of folks that they want to change their lives. They want to have a stable foundation mm -hmm. uh, because they found what life is without that. But you can't just change. The Lord has to help you build a new foundation. Hmm. Hmm. And that's that's uh, quite common. I think it's a, a great analogy you've made because that, you know, when the Lord brings along a situation where a person is hurting, their life is not going well, we can be there to encourage them, mm -hmm. give them direction, point them towards the Lord. But it's the Lord that then takes them and helps them recognize that their foundation is either broken or not constructed correctly. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think two things come to mind when, when I think about uh, foundation and how it uh, can relates to life. And, and um, Jesus was a great example in, in, in his life um, 
getting together with with his father first thing in the morning and and allowing the the father God to give him a basis for the rest of the day. I think that's crucial in my life is that I I start off uh, setting that foundation on a daily basis. and, and I think the other part of it is, is uh, so often we kind of have this picture of what we think our Christian life is supposed to be. And so it's, it's like this people that come in and they've been seeing this show or that show and they have a picture of, of what they think a, a house, their dream home should be. Mm. And, and then by the time we work through it and figure out what's really important and how spaces work and how they live in it. And it's, it's, it's amazing sometimes how much that changes from the picture book to, to something that that's going to really give them enjoyment in life. And it really works. Yeah, it works. And, Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes we don't allow God the time to tell, to show us and tell us, um, what that is supposed to look like, what, you know, recenter our dream based off of what he thinks we should be looking for and desiring instead of what the world's telling us is, is that picture. And so maybe, maybe down the road, I want to come back and have this construction conversation some more, add some more to it and talk about, um, light in structures, how, how you bring light in, how color works. I know that's decor and decoration, all that sort of stuff. But all of those pieces create the space and the ambiance and all, all of that. I used to think that architects, for example, were engineers until I started working with some and I found that they're really poets. They're really people who say, I like how this space feels. You know, that, that sort of thing. But maybe we could come back and talk about those things at a later date. What I'd like to do, though, you know, here's here's this statement you find in Scripture is don't build your house on sand because it's a crummy foundation. And if the storm comes, you're done. That's just how it is. And we see that all the time in people's lives. And all of us face storms. We all do. But you commented, Mark, on it isn't just that you create a foundation and let it lay, if you will. I don't even know if that's correct English. But but you revisit the foundation on a daily basis for you and John. And, and one of the things I wanted to talk to both of you about is here you are. You're, you're a strong men. You're studly men. You could arm wrestle guys. You work with guys who are tough. You All of that sort of thing. But both of you have this unique characteristic that I call uh, being a practical mystic. I define practical mystic in spiritual terms as a guy or a woman who's two inches off the floor but not off the wall. That is, they have some sense for a larger life, that there is a spiritual part to our lives besides the physical, the emotional, psychological, that fuels, that fuels us. And I, and I know this. So for our listeners, I know that these both these guys are readers, and they read more than plans and specs. I don't know if it's your favorite guy, but John, you're one of your top three probably in terms of people who have written about life and spiritual matters. There's a fellow named Oswald Chambers. 
And for you, Mark, your your guy, if I can say that, is a guy named Andrew Murray. So, John, I want to start with you and just uh, give us a snapshot of who Oswald Chambers was. And I'll fill in the cracks if I have something that I think is interesting about him. My introduction to Oswald Chambers was my mom. Uh, When I was growing, she would read my utmost and uh, she would share with me from time to time. I wasn't very interested at the time. What's, what's my utmost? My utmost for his highest is a daily visit with Oswald Chambers, guiding us through various practical examples of Scripture and Jesus' example okay. of, of living. And, it, and it's one-page deals. One, one-page deal. It takes five minutes and, to write and, it. And, and he actually and, didn't and about, write it, did And he? about a day or two to contemplate it. <laughs> For me, it's about a week or two. <laughs> and these were talks he gave, and after his death, yes. his, wife his wife put them together. Basically right? transcribed it into booklets okay. and books. Yeah. Uh, this is a compilation of, yes, talks he gave. Okay. And uh, he didn't write a thing, but uh, yeah. Biddy, his wife, but he did and it. recorded it. Uh, a gentleman named Dave McCasland reintroduced me to Oswald uh, about 25 years ago. And uh, you came along uh, somewhere along that route and reemphasized how that man and how the Lord can use him to affect a person's life. So, yeah, he's a guy that I don't think uh, Oswald, for whatever reason, uh, felt he had the time to beat around the bush. Hmm. So he was very direct, mm-hmm. he was very disciplined, very focused, and he's uh, one of these no-nonsense people that gets right to it. And in these days, uh, we come to a place sometimes in life where we realize that we don't have the time maybe to, to mess around. Mm-hmm. We've got to get real. If uh, the changes that, that we know need to take place in our lives uh, are going to take place, we need to get pretty serious. So Oswald's my guy that brings me to that point. <laughs> On a daily basis. And he was a Scot, um, went to the University of Edinburgh as an artist, uh, really felt moved by by God, if you will, when he went to a church thing and transferred to a little Bible college over on the west coast of Scotland, ended up uh, marrying this uh, young woman who was, uh, was trained as a court stenographer or yes, something. Yes. Took shorthand, whatever. Yes. And then they went off, and um, he ended up in in North Africa, and we'll come back to that in a minute. For you, Mark, Andrew Murray. How in the world did you connect with Andrew Murray? Because he was like in the 1800s. Yeah, that's, that's a funny story, because um, the first book that I, I read was... Um, and, and it's been published so many times, and they changed the title a little bit. But then it was called Like Christ. It was just that simple. It was just Like Christ. And earlier, everything was in the school of, and then it, he would have a title. But this book was just called Like Christ. And I, I saw it at a um, at the library in a, in a church, and it was a used book. And and so I read it, and I couldn't put it down. And um, Why? It just, it was... Well, I didn't know who he was, but I thought that he was the most contemporary writer I'd ever read. And everything was based on the abiding of God and and not being able to do anything on your own without the Spirit and and Jesus Christ living inside of you. And it was just so much uh, what I had always 
believed in that I thought this guy is really on the ball. And, and I remember when I got... So you liked him because they believed like you liked yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I was hoping he was going to help me become that person. Oh, there you that, go. That was... All the, right. and, and so I've read uh, a couple of his books, the, the book on obedience that he that he wrote as well as the book on prayer that he wrote. I, I don't know how many times I've read it and I'm still have that same hope yeah. that he's going to help me become what I, what I know I'm supposed to be. But, but I remember getting that book done and, and telling my wife that, um, I, I want to go listen to this guy. And so, so, you know, I did what everybody does when they want to find out more about him. They read the back of the book and I found mm-hmm. out he's been dead for, <laughs> for hundreds of years. Since 1917. <laughs> So, where is he so, speaking next? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, that kind of that 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 threw me for a loop. That somebody that was basically uh, a lot of his life when he wrote, he was very secluded parts of his life, and so he was writing um, these amazing books, in, in my opinion, and uh, wasn't with a bunch, wasn't teaching, or he was just it was just him and God, and, mm. and so that even further impressed me with with his uh with his teachings and so um i and and the way i normally read murray is is uh he, he his books are broken up into small chapters yeah and they they originally were called pocket books mm-hmm. and they were meant to be able to read that chapter in a few minutes and so it works really good for me because i always read three of them I read uh, one, and then the the one I read the day before, and then so I, I before I move on, I've read it three times, wow. and, and so um, and you do this most every day, or yeah, yeah, at, yeah. at least, and you and you read Oswald often, if yes. not every day, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and um, and I've always um, just been amazed at at how plain and simple and like like. John says he's real. I mean, he he yeah. doesn't he doesn't beat around the bush at all. He I just mean, puts it out there, and and uh, he uh, he constantly brings you back to Jesus as the example, and he's the only way you can do what what he's asking you to do. Okay, so in construction, speed is not unimportant. It may not be the only thing, but that old business about cheap, fast, and what is it, cheap. Cheap, good, and fast. Pick any two. Yeah, you know that sort yep. of thing. So speed is in there somewhere. Getting something done as quickly as possible and doing it right is important. Uh, how long does it take you to read three of those things on a given one? Because you're an early riser, and by early riser, we're looking at four o'clock in the morning, right? Yep. I mean, yeah, I, I get some stuff. I do better in the morning. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're crummy in the afternoon. <laughs> but, uh, no. <laughs> So, so how long does it take you? Um, really, you can read three of his chapters and easily, even if you have to stop and think about it every so often, which I do, yeah. in, in five, ten minutes. And that's same, yeah. same for Oswald. You know, it sounds like Murray, like Chambers, one of the things that I'm hearing you say that strikes a chord is that he points you to the things that you need to be contemplating. He points you to the Lord and the things he's wanting to do in your life. He doesn't draw you to Murray. Hmm. Yeah. And that's what I believe my, one of my key attractions is to reading chambers 
is he's pointing me to those things for me to contemplate that are so important in navigating life. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to wrap this up this way. It sounds like when you read these fellas who were, who were hundreds of years, centuries, if you will, after Jesus, both of them in their own unique ways bring you back to that person. To, and, and Scripture talks about Jesus being the foundation, being the cornerstone, being the, the thing that makes it all work. And that idea is profound. You know, pretty much all we've talked about in construction terms has been foundation. But the point is, if we don't get that right, then to talk about whatever else you want to talk about doesn't make, does not make much sense. So I, I just found an interesting thing when I was looking online uh, about both Oswald Chambers and Andrew Murray. I knew this of Oswald Chambers, but both of them were Scottish roots. Andrew Murray died at just coming up on his 89th year. So he was, he was 88. He was going to have his 89th birthday. And Oswald died at age 43 of a burst appendix and so forth as a, as a British military chaplain in Cairo in the First World War. But both of them died on the same continent, one in South Africa, Andrew Murray, and one in Cairo. And, uh, and they both died the same year. 1917, in January, Andrew Murray died. In November of that year, I believe, uh, Oswald, Chamber, Oswald Chambers died. It's interesting. As you know, John, I've spent uh, the last 20 years uh, living in and now visiting with regularity Washington, D.C. If we went to Capitol Hill and you went to offices of people who were uh, believers in Jesus or people who were just starting the journey, the book you would find second to the scriptures in those offices would be Oswald Chambers, My Utmost First Highest. And I think there is something in us, in it, especially this would be true in a soundbite age, if we could have something that helps us, uh, just some little thing, five, ten minutes, that help us start our days and live our lives and revisit appropriate and nurture appropriate foundations, then, then everybody wins. We win, those around us win, and that's, and that's how it works. So we leave with the thought, when you build your house, when you build your life, build it on a foundation that doesn't get wiped out with the next hurricane, with the next storm, with the next high wind. And when we do that, everybody wins. John, thank you for being here. Mark, thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you. I think we done good. (laughs) (laughs) So on this pre-Christmas day, I'll leave you again with the question. Isn't, isn't this Joseph, the carpenter's son? And the answer is, yep. Yep.